You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is each and every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I'm just hopeful that uh, Gary Lyon doesn't come on here and uh, and level some criticism at us. Yeah, he was uh, he was seriously fired up, particularly at halftime after the game. I think he was, uh, you know, come to terms with what was happening. <laughs> but it was listen, this is two nights in a row now to start this uh, round or this whatever you want to call it festival of footy. I think they're calling it over at Fox. But two nights in a row that I was really really looking forward to the game, and it probably didn't deliver. No, I think I think probably is a is a fairly uh, under underestimated term there because this was over. It felt like in the first five minutes, maybe Melbourne just did not did not give a shout at all to begin this game. Yeah, I'd like to say and point to different things why. And look, I, I thought the pressure was pretty good from Port Adelaide early, but this was clearly uh, an occasion where one team's skills were up to scratch and another team wasn't. I, I don't know what else you saw, but certainly Melbourne just could not hold the ball they couldn't hold the footy they couldn't move it and Port Adelaide were pretty clinical going the other way uh Port actually across the entire game and this can be attributed to I think Melbourne's pressure as well I think that that was down on the night but Port went at 78.4 percent disposal efficiency last night their season average is 72 so 78 across an entire team across an entire game is absolutely insane. Inside 50s, 47 to 31 in favour of Port Adelaide as well. This was complete domination. You said that they went at 78, which is true, but I think the other side of that is almost as telling with Melbourne going at 66%. And we yeah. talked about them at the start of the year, just the absolute you know, shit level of their kicking skills. And then they turned that around and we saw some games from those guys who were struggling with their kick, like Oliver and Langdon and those sort of players. And then uh, last night, it went back to the bad old days. And that just seems to be it for Melbourne. Hit your targets by foot, and maybe you look like a better team. If you don't hit them, then you are in real trouble. It's a weird game in terms of the disposals as well, or in terms of kicks to handballs. Melbourne was basically a one-to-one ratio, and Port Adelaide was under 1.2. So a real, a lot of handballs in this game. Yeah, kind of unlike Port Adelaide in that regard. They are a team that likes to get the ball on the boot. But it was always controlled with Port Adelaide. I think Melbourne had one really, really good transition where they ended up getting a goal. I think Malksham had plenty of options short, and he looked up and kicked the ball. Yeah, it was a 50-meter pass right on the money to Sam Wiedemann, I believe. It was near the end of the third quarter, and that was the only time you really saw, I guess, the capabilities of this Melbourne team. And that's why they've been so frustrating uh, over the years because back to 2018, they obviously had that incredible season. And since that point... They haven't been able to have the consistency, and we've seen them take strides. And I even thought they were decent against Brisbane last week, and then to come uh, to this game and drop that one. We know that they have a game in hand, but geez, they're a long way off now. Under ninety percent, only on the three wins, down in thirteenth position. It's it's a long way back for them. The part of your problem is, is when three of your four highest ball winners in Petrarca, Oliver, and Viney go at under sixty percent. Viney going at forty-seven percent. Petrucker having nine turnovers and Viney having eight turnovers. You just cannot afford for the guys that have the ball in their hands that much to be that poor with it and to give it up as much as they do. 
Like that is, it's really hard to come back from. And as we saw, it was impossible for them to come back from in this game. And Port Adelaide just had it over them from the beginning. And it was one of those ones almost, I guess I felt a little bit better about the Bulldogs performance because it hasn't been the worst performance of the round so far. But this one just felt over really, really quickly. And Port Adelaide, we said that they needed to you know, bounce back after a pretty disappointing performance against St. Kilda. We weren't saying they were under super pressure or anything like that. But they needed to, you know, Put, show that they're a really good team and they're the, the top team in the AFL and they did that and they did it really comfortably. Well, there's one thing Port Adelaide's not worried about at the moment and it might be a little bit frustrating to them, but it's been in the hub because uh, they've been doing it for weeks now. They've played a lot of footy up in Queensland. Uh, yeah, They're pretty comfortable up there. The one question I would ask you before we move on from this one because it was a bit of a disaster, four of the lowest disposal total players were Tom McDonald, Sam Wiedemann, and Luke Jackson. What did you say? I mean, and I, I think it's a little bit harsh to say that those guys were uh, part of the downfall because I just don't think that Melbourne had their hands on the footy. I don't think they were delivering the ball inside 50 with any type of uh, potency that would help these tall forwards. But what did you say? Because uh, this was something I flagged yesterday. I thought they might have been a late change. I was wrong. I'm down to 50, 50%. <laughs> I'm predicting my late changes. But... These guys really didn't have an impact on the game at all. Well, it's, it is hard to have that impact when you only go inside 50, 31 times. Yep. So that, that makes it tough, but you know, it didn't convert that. There was only, what, five marks inside 50 for the team, two to Melksham, one to McDonald, and two to Wiedemann. Yeah, Bailey Fritsch not gra- grabbing one. Then we talked about him at length yesterday as well. Um, uh, Luke Jackson just not not an impact player at all. And as much as I like him, if you're going to play those other guys, I, I just don't think that you can continue to do that. It's just too many big guys and he sort of gets lost in that shuffle. And that was, again, something we talked about. It was like, that's this curious. And you, with your late change discussion, this is curious why they go in this direction. And it obviously didn't work, but it's not all their fault because again, the ball just didn't get in there properly. It didn't get in there often enough and it didn't get, get in there with high enough quality. And those two things, that that's you can't do anything with that. So what about the rest of the hub? So we saw yesterday that, or it was probably the night before, actually, there was some talk of this, that there was some COVID protocols being breached by not players, but families that have come up, uh, particularly moving to Queensland. So uh, I think the number that's been thrown around is 400 plus people uh, entering Queensland, whether that is staff, families, whatever it may be. And there was a couple of breaches and... You know, I've tried to stick up for the players and the, and the families and that sort of stuff and said this is really difficult, and there's no doubt it is. But if I was living in Queensland and I was seeing some of these reports, I would be seriously pissed off. And I think that, yes, we want the footy to continue quite clearly, but this is pretty cut and dry. If they're going to go up there, they need to stay to the rules, which, yes, might seem a stretch and it might seem frustrating for them. But have a look what everyone else in Victoria is doing right now and everything that people in Sydney and New South Wales might be doing in the near future. And for mine, uh, you can't can't be going out there and jeopardizing not just footy, but people in Queensland who've done such a great job with this. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Like it's you know, concerning reports and, and you know, they, they made a mistake, but I'm pretty sure that stuff was, well, I'm pretty sure I'm 100% sure that stuff was detailed in, in, the, uh, in the guidelines that they weren't allowed to be doing things like going to, to theme parks. Um, so that is 
a uh, it's a concern. I'm not saying it's it's willfully damaging. They're doing it on purpose. You know, the, the report is then dropping to grandparents and then them taking to the theme parks. But that needs to be communicated. And it is frustrating. Obviously, you're up there and you're in a situation where you're you're living in an environment where you're not locked down like you were at home. You go, well, can I just live my life like everyone else here? But there are certain restrictions around that. And we don't want your jeopardization of the competition, but also of the safety of the people in Queensland. Because if we can keep these outbreaks to the two states where they are now, and mainly the, the one state slash one city, um, then that's going to be better for the country as a whole. And I think we all need to take some uh, responsibility, your personal responsibility uh, for society as a whole. There. And, and it's, it's not encouraging. Hopefully these um, fines, which... It doesn't really worry me how big they are. It's more the fact that they're out there and they are. Well, these are the, the what's going on. That the players and their families are more uh, not understanding, but more cognizant of being really on top of those restrictions and not letting these sort of screw ups happen again. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate again, and I, I don't <laughs> I don't want to go too hard on those guys, but we've we've seen it. We've seen it in Victoria, and we know we're living through it, Josh. That. Yeah, one little mistake with this thing, and and it can go down downhill pretty quickly. And uh, there's a lot of money involved, so I'm not anticipating the Queensland government is going to pull the pin uh, straight away. But you don't want to mess with that either. And ultimately, if there did continue to be things like this happen, then you couldn't blame them if they said, "Well, stuff this. Uh, you know, we're not doing this. We're, it's too important to our state to keep uh, this thing under control." But also, we know we've seen it. There's uh, people in the general public might be more of a threat than this this AFL hub. I feel pretty confident in saying oh, that. Yes. <laughs> so, what about this weekend's footy? And and I have to admit, the whole day yesterday, I kept on thinking that it was Friday because of Wednesday night footy felt like Thursday night footy, and then it threw me off. But we have still got a bunch of games coming up this weekend. What are you looking at first up? First one I want to have a look at, and you talked about it last week. You uh, you put your balls out on the line and said this is Adelaide's chance to get a win. Well, this is their, this is their chance to get a win, actually. I know they almost got over the line against Essendon, but they're taking on uh, North Melbourne. They they go up to Metricon Stadium. Uh, North almost, almost knocked off Carlton, but uh, have been struggling themselves. And now Adelaide, who have played, let's say, well, let's say below average, which is better than abysmal, over the last three weeks. Uh, this is, a, is an opportunity for them against a team who's 17th. It's the big 18 versus 17 game. Didn't think I'd really be highlighting this as something to watch, but I want Adelaide to get a win. I don't want them to go the whole season and not you know, taste victory. It's good for the fans. It's good for the supporters. And this is it for them. This is, they they need to get this one. And, and I, uh, I have some confidence they will. Well, both teams have lost five in a row. So someone's going to uh, break the streak. I would admit that probably based on recent form, and this is the last two weeks. Remember, Adelaide were... They're reasonably competitive against St Kilda the week before as well. It's just been finishing for them. That's it's really been the key. I mean, they've, they've had opportunities inside 50. They've had stretches of games where they've not just competed, they've actually dominated stretch of games and haven't been able to put it on the scoreboard. So I, I would agree that this is one that they would mark down. I mean, if they're going to win any game, it's going to be this week. And they've been just building. They've been just building. So also for Matthew Nix, I mean, come on. He's yeah, just coming exactly. to this team. He's come to this team, and geez, he, he's in a tough situation. And I don't blame him, but we know how fickle uh, that role can be if you walk into a team that's not winning games. So, yeah, I probably, if I had to tip, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably be betting Adelaide based on recent week's form. I wasn't too impressed with North Melbourne last week against Carlton. They, they were able to get on top in stretches. 
we know ultimately maybe they let themselves down and that's the reason why they lost the game. But yeah, give me the Crows in this one. Um, interesting thing here, the clearances are going to be key in this one to me because yeah, over the season, it's uh, you know thirty four North Melbourne, twenty six Adelaide. That's it's a pretty big difference, and centre clearances ten to ten to six. So we'll we'll see whether they can get something happening in the middle there. Um, interestingly, uh, and if people aren't aware of this, we don't get the teams on Thursday night anymore. It's you, crazy. You, the teams are just getting announced one day in advance. So we've got Friday's teams, but we don't have Saturday's teams. So I can't tell you who's in or out for these squads, and there could be things that do change it. We know that Magic Door is going to be playing his first game in a couple of years. So that was fantastic. We know all the, the personal stuff. And then he had that injury that looked like he was going to rule him out for the season, but he's re- recovered from that. So that's fantastic for Magic to be back and playing for North Melbourne this week. But we, that's all we know in terms of teams. But I think it is just going to be one around the center of the ground here. Riley O'Brien uh, versus uh, Todd Goldstein. I, I think you know Goldstein has a, an advantage, but O'Brien's been really good around the ground. So I, I think this is a game that you, you look at two terrible teams playing each other, two bad teams, often the games can be okay because they're not getting completely outclassed in other areas and it can be pretty competitive. So we'll see if that actually pans out or if I'm just talking uh, talking absolute nonsense and this game is a, is an absolute uh, dumpster fire. So I'm looking at Gold Coast GWS, and again, we've spoke about so many games in this situation, and this is, the uh, I guess, the result of having such a bunched-up ladder and, and games... Uh, we, that means so much, I think, with so many competitive games between teams close in the ladder. But Gold Coast GWS, again, is one of those. I look into this game and I, I sit here and I don't know why I do it every single week, but all, all through the week I look at the way the Giants are playing, I lose faith in them, then it gets to before the game and I'm like, oh, they'll win this, they'll win this. They're too talented. There's too much talent on that list and I find myself in the same position again. But the two expansion teams here, one of them, is probably going to be in the eight at the end of the weekend. It's Gold Coast or GWS. The numbers are pretty even across the board, particularly in clearances. They're actually identical uh, on the season, as is always the case with GWS. The differential comes in the inside 50 count. The Suns are plus 10. We spoke about Toby Green earlier in the week. We don't have the lineups, as you mentioned, so I can't really specifically say who is in or who is out for the Suns. But who gets that job? But honestly, if you keep him to minimal impact, minimal goals, you give yourself a red-hot chance to win a game against GWS. It's that simple. Yeah, it's hard to... Like, he's not one of those guys that we talk about, you know, can you can you play someone on him to, uh, to, you know, to run run off and make him accountable the other way because he, he doesn't care about that because he knows that he's going to have the advantage going the other way. And you know if it's a, a standoff, that you're going to have to back down and, and stay on him. So... I don't think that, that yeah you could, can't run like a Harbrow or something on him yeah and try and get that drive coming through halfback. I, I don't think that's really going to be what they need to do. It's it's hard. Do you, I don't think you go with a Lacocious who's been playing down halfback. It is I don't think he's the right option there. It is tough to find the right player to take that uh, to take that matchup at this point. Yeah, Lacocious was one I had down. I'm, I'm not sure he's the right. I'm not sure he's the right player for it. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough because we've spoken before about uh, Toby Green's ability to take contested marks as well. So, yes, he's good on the ground and he's brilliant once the ball hits the deck. But in those high-flying contests, we know he's got as good a hands as anyone in small forwards, medium forwards anyway. so Maybe it's Pierce yeah, Hanley. It, it could be. Uh, I don't know about Pierce Hanley. I, yeah, I, I don't feel all that comfortable about that one. But, yeah. This is an exciting game. So you tell me, have you got faith in the Suns to get this one? Remember last week, 
Uh, maybe they should have won that game against the Bulldogs. They beat the, the Swans the week before. So their form has kind of stabilized after we were concerned that they were having a bit of a bit of a drop off in after the Matt Rail injury. Mm, I'm not I'm not ready to go with them here in this one. I, I do think the Giants will get it. Um one of the key factors, I think, is going to be how Collins plays down back for Gold Coast because we know GWS and their limited forward 50 entries. But if they get those entries in the right spot and get easy shots and easy marks, then they'll win. And Collins has been really, really strong this season for Gold Coast. And if he can you know, place some sort of limit on where Cameron gets the ball or how much he gets the ball, that's going to be key because the opportunities are going to be limited for GWS. So he is going to be a key factor of you know, pushing Cameron into the areas where he wants him to be and then limiting the opportunities he actually gets. That's going to be a key one. But I do think that GWS is probably the one I would be going for here. They beat Richmond last week. Um, I don't know if that's the sign of a, of a turnaround or anything like that, but I feel a little bit more comfortable uh, going in their direction here. Before we move on from this game, we haven't mentioned this guy a lot, and we've spoken a fair amount about the Suns through the season so far, but Took Miller leads oh, yeah. Gold Coast in disposals per game with 22 uh, second only to Hugh Greenwood in contested possessions per game. He's getting 11 of those, so 50-50 split uh, for him. And listen, this guy's been around for you know quite a while now, and he's always been a guy that's floated in and out of seasons. This, from mine, seems like his most consistent season. And alongside Hugh Greenwood, that's how they've been able to withstand the loss of Matt Rowell because they're not losing out in contested footy. And I think that was the concern, even though Rowell had only played three games you wondered whether they were going to be able to shoulder that load, but Took Miller's been a huge part of that. Yeah, he's averaged 22 disposals a game for the last three years, but of course, shorter quarters makes that more impactful this yeah. year. And him and Greenwood in there, that, that is key, but I just think you, you match those guys up against you know, Canelio and, and Cali and you know Whitfield off halfback and Taranto and Hopper. I just think that the midfield volume there from GWS probably might be a little bit overwhelming for, for what Miller and, uh, and Greenwood can do. Not that, not that they uh, have struggled really at all because they've been fantastic in almost every game and it does provide that hardness around the contest. So he has been really strong. I'm just, I'm just not sure it's enough. So you've got a line in the rundown that makes me very nervous in oh, 2020. No. You've got Saints percentage booster and we spoke a little bit about Carlton on yesterday's pod and I think we both agreed that the Blues might be in line for maybe a comfortable win. And I will say, the selection we do have for that game uh, tonight, Hawthorne, I tell you what, I tell you what they're not doing. They're not going small. They've uh, gone no. big again. They've brought in uh, Segler comes in to the team and also uh, Lewis, I think, has come into that squad as well for Hawthorne on that side no, as Lewis well. Was, Lewis was out. Oh, was he? Well, yeah, so, there we go. But uh, Segler, Bruce, O'Brien, and Impey came in. O'Brien, sorry, O'Brien was the one I was thinking about. So, I mean, they're, they're not going small. No, they're not. They've been running McAvoy in the ruck for these last few weeks, and now they're bringing Segler back. Um, be interesting to see what they do. Now, look, Carlton is a taller team. You've got Casbolt, Mackay down forward, um, who are yeah, providing those. And we've got Cripps that goes down there as well, who's that, you know, becomes that third tall option. So maybe needing a little bit of height against Carlton is not a horrible decision, but they do lose Mitch McGovern, Carlton. So that's one of those tall forwards out of the mix. I just still worry about these decisions, but getting Bruce back, of course, is an undeniable positive. So is he going to be what they need? Just giving someone, giving them a smart option up forward that creates that space. And we talk about it all the time, 
inside 50s, but getting to the right spots and slow ball movement. You know, if you watch that Wednesday game against the Bulldogs, Mitch Wallace is not a key forward, but he knows how to create the space and he knows how to get into the right spots. And that's what Bruce can do for Hawthorne is just provide the options in the right area and then be a, a, a clinical finisher. And when you've got options like that up forward, it does tend to improve your ball movement, knowing that the space is in the right area for the right forward. And I think that's what he can do. So that's that's an, an undeniable positive for Hawthorne. So back to the Saints. Uh, yes. You like them in this one against the Swans. You think this is a an area or a game that they can make up some ground on the ladder? Yeah, so they're sitting at 117%. Pretty good. But yep. Geelong's ahead of them 123. you got the power at 146. They're not going to catch them. But there's a whole bunch of teams on 117. Brisbane, Richmond, uh, West Coast at 114, and they're climbing. Collingwood's at 116 just behind them. They could possibly... Yeah, given the way they're playing and, and where Sydney's sitting, they could get themselves a six, seven, eight percent percentage boost here and push into that one twenty four, one twenty five range and really establish themselves when this bottleneck of teams arrive that they can position themselves at the top of that level. This is these are the opportunities that you need to take when you when things are so tight in there and you've got that ability to you know, put a big score and also limit the opposing team's score. This is the one that they have to take. I think getting the wins important. Carlton had that chance last week against North and you know, just sort of got over the line. You, you have to take that opportunity here, uh, I think, to get you know, a 30, 40, 50-point win and really get that buffer on your percentage there as well. Yeah, the one thing Sydney has been throughout, though, is is pretty competitive, even this season. That's true. Uh, they are a hard team to put away. St Kilda, for the most part, has been pretty consistent outside of that big loss that they had against Collingwood earlier in the season. They've been pretty consistent with their form as well. It is a big one. I mean, I mean, you speak about this for the Saints. Uh, they're only, well, if they win this game, they're going to move up to second on the ladder. I do think that their forward line for mine right through the season has continued to look dangerous, and it's it's probably got better. And I think maybe we underestimated that this was a team that added so many new pieces this season while also trying to integrate a new coach as well, but I love the small guys. Obviously, we've spoke a lot about Dan Butler, but also running from defense, I think that we're starting to see a little bit of a turnaround in play from Brad Hill. He started the season with a burst. He went quiet for a little bit. Uh, he's still averaging 15 disposals a game. We know he's super damaging. If he starts to hit form, uh, I think this team goes to another level. Yeah, and uh, another guy that was on fire for them at the beginning of the season was Seb Ross, and he sort of pushed back a little mm. bit as well as guys like Steele have really stepped it up and to become one of those key pieces in there. So if you can get those guys like Ross and Hill back to 90%, 85% of their of their production from the first two to three rounds, because those guys were really dominant in those first couple, uh, it's really dangerous. I think there's there's a huge chance, and we know they've got that. Sydney's been had problems with uh, getting players who were actually tall all season. And St. Kilda's got a few of those big guys up forward as well. We talk about Membry and, and there's Kent up there and King and, and Ryder and Marshall, a whole bunch of tall guys. And that could really stretch this Sydney team if those guys all get get amongst it and, and really start to um, you know, push this Sydney team around, especially if that midfield can deliver the ball and get just get on top of it around all the stoppages as they've been doing for big chunks of the season. All right, let's wrap this up by talking about the Tim Kelly Cup Cats and Eagles on Saturday night. It will be the first time the Cats will get a look at Tim Kelly. We've spoken about him on the podcast. He's someone that's really starting to round into form. There's no doubt the chemistry looks like it's building with Nick Dadnui, who's also got some continuity, continuity, I said continuity, continuity in his footy. 
Uh, fingers crossed that stays the same way for him. But West Coast uh, firing on all cylinders. The question I would have for you or the concern I would have if you're a Geelong supporter would be no Reece Stanley, no Darcy Fort. So the Cats are going to go into this game again without a really without a recognized number one ruckman. They'll run Radicalia up against Nat Nui. They'll probably try Mark Blitzars. But the concern with that for me is if you take Blitzars out of the back line, you're talking about a team with obviously Josh Kennedy, Jack Darling, Oscar Allen has become a really potent marking target up forward. I think the Cats, either way you look at this, are looking like they're going to run out of options. Yeah, now last week when I suggested that Blitzars would go in, in the ruck, you were, I believe you scoffed at me. And uh, you you weren't you weren't a fan of that idea, but that's basically where he played the majority of that game against Fremantle. But you're right here. If they he is forced into large amounts of time in the ruck, that back line is going to be under pressure. You're getting Stewart back there, Harry Taylor's there. Uh, it is not a completely lost cause, but... Is there any other option outside of Radaglia? Like, who else would they put in the ruck? No, I don't think there is. I think it's going to be Radaglia and Blitzars. Remember, they did bring Lockie Henderson back into the team, so they probably still feel comfortable with Harry Taylor and Lockie Henderson. Now, Lockie Henderson at this point of his career is not Mark Blitzars. I think we can all agree with that. I haven't checked the weather forecast. Uh, I, I will say, though, last week, it did help that it was pouring and you didn't have to worry about tall forwards marking the footy. So being able to play Blitzars is essentially a fourth midfielder made some sense, even though uh, I say fourth midfielder, but there was essentially 30 people rolling up and down the field as midfielders in that game. So conditions suited. If it's dry and it's a quick uh, paced game, then yeah, it, it spells all kinds of danger for mine. And uh, well, everyone that listens to the podcast knows my thoughts anyway. Maybe the Cats are. I've spent so much time talking about percentage. Maybe they're looking at this and saying, well, we can't afford to lose by 80 points in this game. That would be a disaster for our season. Yeah, that's what I mentioned when you talked about the wholesale resting is that you can lose the game, but if you lose by 60, then you are, you know, it's, a, it's a 90 to 30 game. You're in real trouble. And then you lose 10, 12 points, and then you get back into the, an area where it's not as strong. We talk about St. Kilda get, getting 7 or 8% on, and then Geelong loses the same amount. Like, that is a big, big swing that could happen in one round they they are not um, unrealistic scenarios to to both take place and I think you need to try and minimize that damage because getting between third fourth and tenth is going to be really really close throughout the season and it could just come down to that percentage so I think you want to try and minimize it as much as possible you try for uh, resting in training in-game resting Port Adelaide did some in-game resting last night through their midfield to try and limit the load when the game was um uh, in, in hand for them and just you know, more of that resting guys through the forward line sort of situation and getting other guys in, in in the midfield rather than just waving the white flag and getting pumped by 70. So the only game we haven't hit and we can just touch on this really quickly, Nat Fife back in for Fremantle against Collingwood. We know there's going to be no Scott Penbury. The Pies get uh, still side bottom back, but Fife in, Penbury out. The big swing in favor of the Dockers. We know they've been relatively competitive this season and the Pies need to bounce back. That one's going to be interesting as well. But just looking through the fixture this week, 5.40 start tonight on Friday. 5.40 p.m. double header. This is crazy. Yeah, that's that's such a weird time for the footy to be on. But hey, we'll, we'll be watching it because there's another game coming up after that. The uh, You said the, the swing of five coming back in and Pendlebury going out. I still don't think it's really going to make too much of a difference. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure comfortable <laughs> uh, Collingwood will get this one comfortably. But hey, weird stuff goes on all the time across the league at the moment. Kane, we'll have it all for you as we re rejoin each other on Monday for Locked On AFL. Thank you for another great week. 
No, we're going to briefly touch on round nine and then we're going to move directly on to round 10 because it starts on Monday. This, uh, I, I don't know. I guess this is what we're doing now. It, it is. It's going to be wild. Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And I'll leave you today with a shout-out to Nathan Bock.